We're Cynthia Vargavisser and Michelle Walters, co-hosts of Mind Power Meets Mystic. Our weekly show is here to expand your mind to what's possible, to uplift your spirits, to move forward with confidence and joy, and to create a space for your collaboration with the invisible. Welcome to Mind Power Meets Mystic. Hey, 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 and welcome to Mind Power Meets Mystic. Michelle and I are really excited to have our dear friend Eloise Hill here with us. So Eloise is a retired nurse, writer, and psychic who's been aware of her clairvoyant, clairaudient, and clairsentient abilities since childhood and is in love with the tarot and all things metaphysical since she picked up her first Rider weight deck at the age of 18. In the course of her intuitive career, she has studied with several Bay Area teachers, including the late trans medium, Karen Lindegaard. In addition to giving psychic and medical intuitive readings, she teaches classes on a variety of subjects, including the, is it the Tothero? Toth. Toth. Tothero. At 101, learning, oh my God, you know what? I thought I had all these names and I don't. Learning the Lenormand, right? The Lenormand? Candle Magic for Muggles, Beyond Divination, Pragmatic Uses for um, Elder Futhark Runes, The Womanly Art of Tea Leaf Reading, and DIY Energy Clearing. She is also the author of The Eight of Pentacles and The Queen of the Barley Moon, books one and two from the Eileen McGrath Tarot Mystery Series, set in and around Oakland, California, and inspired by her experiences as a psychic tarot enthusiast. So thank you so very much, Eloise. Super excited to talk to you about a bunch of stuff. Thank you for having me, both you and Michelle. I'm excited to be here with you two curious ladies. <laughs> well, I'm excited to have you on our show today. Uh, we have not had many other authors. Not, I think we've had a couple, but not too many. And um, I was curious to hear a little bit more about your books. I haven't had the chance to read your books yet. Um, but maybe you could share a little bit with our listeners. Uh, Cynthia refers to your books as cozies, and I don't actually know that term. So okay. um, tell us about your books. Um, so um, I authored two books, which um, Cynthia just mentioned, and really they just came out of a desire to express, to kind of put out there in a public forum what it feels like to me to live my life as an intuitive. And um, so I also attended a significant number of writer's classes to prepare myself for that. And um, the books are basically, they're called paranormal cozies because that's the genre that they typically fit into. They are not as cozy as some cozies, okay? There, there you know, is some drama. Um, there is a, a hint of romance, um, but they are definitively paranormal. And they're paranormal uh, as I experience the paranormal, okay? So um, they're written primarily for entertainment, but um, I really just needed to, to kind of get what it feels like to be me out there so that basically was it interesting are they are they more of a mystery or more of a oh, they're definitively mystery yeah definitive uh, mystery. okay yeah, absolutely. absolutely i like to 
I like to say that they are mysteries similar to Nancy Drew, but she kicks Nancy Drew's ass. Ah! So, you know, there's that. that intuitive? There's a, well, well, not only that, but it's the way that you're led from clue to clue. It's really, it's a really sweet way of um, getting to know the characters and the, the story is really well written and, but, and you root for her like you did as a girl for Nancy Drew. I am not joking. I really kept, I was transported back that. and like, yeah, that's I, like, this is my adult version of Nancy. I love that. Well, intuition is really significant, um, a really significant factor uh, for real life detectives. And my character gets pulled into being an amateur detective in the first book as a result of a, the death of a client of hers. And then by the second book, she's actually beginning to work with a private detective. And um, so the intuition theme just fit perfectly in there. That that just fell into place because most detectives depend on that as a medium in combination with their logic to help them solve crimes. So, so it was a good fit. What kind of um, what kind of did you do research for your book? Did you talk to detectives or? go sketch I, I did I did I actually um I I did I actually did what felt like a significant amount of research in different areas um I did uh speak to one Oakland police detective at some length um one of my books is set in the Oakland Rose Garden which is very close to where I used to live and so I actually spoke to the Rosarian there because that's a theme um yeah so uh, I did a lot of research on Lake Merritt because the first book is set in Lake Merritt. So I did a lot of research around all the history behind that. So the interesting thing, and you might agree with me on this, Michelle, um, the interesting thing about writing a book is that statistically, most people end up using about 10% of their research. So a lot of writing is research. So I did quite a bit of it. That took up considerably more time than I had anticipated it was going to. Well, I have a book. My book is called An Alignment of Spirit, Finding Work You Love. And I think I had been doing the research for it for, I don't know, 10 or 20 years, maybe more. Yeah, your lifetime, right? You're kind of living that, right? So yeah, Um, collecting the books, collecting the, the, the evidence, and, and also, I guess, collecting my own life stories. Um, that were all woven within my book. My book's very different. It's more of a self-help book mm-hmm. um, as opposed to a fictional narrative. But right. I I loved writing my book. Um, it did take an extreme amount of focus uh, to get it done. But I think maybe at least for some of us authors, there's like, there's like a book in you that has to come out. And um, a lot of my experience really felt like, uh, yeah, there was all the work I did at the conscious level. Somebody asked me if my book was channeled. No, I don't think my book was channeled. I wouldn't say that. Um, But it just kind of fused together in a way. Was your book, did it come naturally out of you or was it something that needed more coaxing or? It didn't take much coaxing because, well, my protagonist is a a disabled nurse, 
okay, uh, mildly disabled, but a disabled nurse. So I, I had that whole nursing piece and I had the whole um, intuitive piece. So the only thing that felt like maybe a little bit of work was actually <laughs> learning how to write, <laughs> no, remembering how to write again, right? Uh, you know, and write in a way uh, that would be, uh, hmm, that would make the book easily accessible to anybody who read it and they wouldn't be going, oh, wow, she shouldn't have, she should have used that instead of which, or, you know, that kind of thing. So it was really more the grammar aspect, syntax of it, that was the only thing that required any work. When I sat down to write, it would just, I, I do believe in channeling and it just pushed straight on through me, so. Yep, yep, very, very. And and there comes a part in the process, and this, I don't know if this would have been true for you or not, given the type of book you wrote, but there comes a part in the process, and I've heard other writers, especially mystery writers, speak of this, but I think all fictional writers, where the characters begin to become so real to you that they actually begin to speak to you. So it's like they take over and guide the rest of the story. You know, you you might give it birth, but then, you know, at some point they mature and take over and off they go. So uh, I would, that part was not the difficult part by any means. What was it? That sounds beautiful. Like that didn't happen to me because my book doesn't have characters like that. My book has characters of like me and the stories of people that I told, but not, not new creations. Like, right. I have no idea how that happens. It just does. There's just a point where it's a product of your imagination that becomes so strong that it takes on an energy all of its own somewhere in the universe and and begins uh, letting you know what it does want and what it doesn't want and, and what matches with it and what aligns with it and what doesn't. It's, it's really quite, it's quite trippy. But um, I, I would imagine that's probably true for anybody who writes fiction at a certain point. You're still the driver, but, you know, there's a lot of conversations going on in the backseat, if you will. So well, it makes sense to me that, and some of our listeners might think this is a little over the top, but I think it'll make sense to you ladies. You are, in fact, cr like kind of creating or hooking into a, a potential or some kind of character of a spirit that you're sort of maybe finding or creating and that's part of how that comes part of how that comes through yeah I think that's really true and you know there's this whole idea of you would probably know more about this than I do but there's this whole you know the concept of Jungian that Jung spoke of uh, a universal consciousness have you ever noticed how a lot of times you will find writers writing books around a similar theme at the same time something new something that's not been done before it's like there's a certain a certain zeitgeist that shows up and and it wants to be presented to the world so i don't want to get too metaphysical about that but uh yeah yeah um i think i'm i think that we uh possess tremendous power as human beings to do many things and then I think our inventions such as the characters in our books um become little little cells of energy all their own that that's what it feels like to me I still hear my characters talking to each other in my head even though it's been years since I read the last book so so they still linger they're still there very cool very cool well once they're once they're 
present on a certain level, they're probably always present. Yeah. Yes. Um, tell us a little bit about your tarot card practice, because I think that, well, it's certainly folded into the title of one of your books. Um, when and how did you, it sounds like you started reading tarot cards as a, as a very young person. Mm, uh, fa fairly young. I was aware of being an intuitive, uh, I was aware that I had something, some ability that the adults in the room didn't seem to be using um, when I was about three years old. That was my first conscious memory of reading somebody. And then the interest continued on to my teenage years. So my late teen years, I began to study a little bit about psychic phenomena, picked up the writer, wait to row, and really didn't study it at all. Just start, you know, typical teenager, just started playing with it. And it kind of freaked me out because I realized that through the process of using it, even though I was doing it casually, that it was possible to get really accurate information about people in their lives or, or myself uh, using this as a tool, using this as a voice for the universe uh, or universal wisdom. And it freaked me out. So that that kind of fell by the wayside. Um, but then later, many, while I was a nurse, um, my, my interest in... Um, in universal consciousness and psychic development continued because part of my career, I was working with people that were dying. And um, so it just kept building and building. And at a certain point, I became unable to work. I had a, sustained a serious injury, couldn't work, and was trying to imagine how am I going to support myself. And um, I was looking through a catalog one day, and this is back in the day when we still got catalogs. And um, it um, there was the thought to row was in this catalog and it literally leapt off the page at me and it was like this is it because I knew I still possessed an, my intuitive abilities I knew they'd grown I knew I developed them but I needed a medium through which to express them and a way to round out what I was already seeing and feeling and sensing so that's how it got started and that was in the late 90s and um, I started working as a uh, part-time as an intuitive at that point and then really got into it uh four or five years later so it's no longer the only medium i use i use of course because you know things have changed i've used many different mediums now including the pendulum i use the lenormand uh deck but that was uh that was sort of where i fell in love with the cards as a as a tool as a as a as i said as a tool for communication a way to open up to universal wisdom. And so that, I, I so loved the Tarot for that, that I wanted to make the Tarot basically the underlying theme of my books. So I have a little question about the Tarot and different kinds of decks, because I bet I bet some of our listeners don't know all these different kinds of decks. Mm -hmm. um, what, what makes using different Tarot decks like, do you get different results from different tarot decks? Do you do you use them for different purposes? How I'm familiar with Rider Waite. I mean, that's, that's the most that's the one one that's kind of yeah. what everybody knows. But I don't know these other two, and I don't understand the um, what that brings or adds or changes in terms of of a reading for someone. So uh, I could go on about this for hours, but I'll I'll try and be very concise, <laughs> or as concise as I'm capable of. So. Um, it varies. It's pretty simple. It varies per the individual. All, each one of us identifies differently with um, different tools of communication. Um, 
including, I would say, the Elder Futhark. I learned to read the runes um, about six or seven years ago, and that was pretty magical, too. But um, in terms of the tarot itself, and that's separate from the Norman, but there are two basic kinds of tarot. One is the Rider Waite deck, and one is the Thoth tarot. They both came out of um, this group called the Golden Dawn, and Alistair Crowley, who was who manifested the um, the Thoth tarot, and uh, Waite, uh, who manifested the Rider Waite, which is the one most people know. They were taxed as apprentices to share some of the knowledge that they were gaining in their work with this magical society and community, but not really give anything away. So the way that um, Waite handled it was to do something that was very simple, that you could look at these pictures and identify with it in a particular way, resonate with it in a particular way. So you can pretty much look at the card and, and make a pretty educated guess at what it's about. Alistair Crowley decided to go the other route, and he created a deck that was so complex, not only in the artwork, but everything that it's tied into, that it, it takes at least 20 years to get a really good handle on it, okay? That's, that's, my, that's my opinion. But you can use it right off the bat. So consequently, human beings being who they are, um, that the Rider White became the more popular of the two. So in my practice, I use, this, so this is just, my individual approach. I use the thought when I really want to get to the deep emotional, spiritual, mental underpinnings of a situation, something like that. Um, I use the Lenormand, which was invented by a woman in France around the time that Napoleon was doing his thing. Um, and she was considered to be a magician and, and a psychic and various things. Um, I use hers for pragmatic stuff because hers are, are are also very simple and maybe not quite as simple as the Rider Waite, but simple and to the point. So it just depends. And then sometimes I use the Elder Futhark runes because um, I have people that come to me and they have a relationship with the runes and they feel more comfortable with that. So, and they are also very pragmatic. Okay. So um, it's, it's, uh, yeah, and I will add finally the other tool that I principally use is the um, um, sorry, I'm losing my train of thought here. Um, I'll use a pendulum because it's really good for very definitive yes no questions and answers. Gotcha. I want to remind all of our listeners that they are listening to Mind Power Meets Mystic with me, Michelle Walters, and my co-host, Cynthia Barkevisser. Today, we are speaking to Eloise Hill. She is an author and a tarot card reader and a medical intuitive, among many, many other things. We would ask so much that you would give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you are listening to our podcast. We really want to hear from you, how you like it, how we're doing, and what else we could do for our listeners. Cynthia, I know you, it's not like you to be so silent. Um, what would you like to ask Eloise? Well, thank you for noticing that I was uh, doing my best not to interrupt the two authors. Um, but let's do one last thing before we hop into it. Cause I know that you did this. We're going to do, we're going to do a circle back. 
as someone who wants to write a book, one piece of advice for them, because I have been wanting to write a book for decades. So if you could each give one little tidbit, I would gladly accept it. Hmm. Uh, Michelle, you want to go first? Make an outline, force yourself to do it, and just sit down and fill it in. That's my two cents if you're going to write a, uh, a nonfiction, a nonfiction you. book. Thank you. Um, I would say I don't disagree with that. I'm not much of an outline person, actually, but I definitely agree that there has to be some form of getting in contact with your muse every single day. It makes it a lot simpler. Uh, I've, as I said, I've taken many writers' classes, and I cannot remember who said this, and I'm paraphrasing it badly, but the it was the best advice I ever got, and it was set aside one hour a day at the same time every day so your muse will know when and where to find you. Love it. Thank you both. Thank you both. All right, now we're going to jump fast forward. And what I'd love to talk about now is medical intuition. So uh, medical intuition is fascinating to me because when I do my readings, I do not go into that area. What I do is I, I say, I can tell you whether it's an energetic, emotional or physical thing. And, and that's as far as I go. If it's energetic or emotional, I can, I can go ahead and explore, but the actual medical intuition, um, it's, it's something that I don't broach and I really admire those who do. So I'd love to hear about, especially as a retired nurse, how you decided to go into medical intuition, because, you know, I had asked you just before, like, how did that happen for you? Was it during work or, you know, how did that work for you? So um, it, it actually happened to me on the job. I was well aware of the fact, as I said, that, you know, I had intuitive abilities and sensitivities and I'd done some level of study at that point. But what really began to stand out for me was that if I begin to um, connect emotionally, with a patient for any length of time, I would actually begin to manifest the symptoms of their illness. Ooh. And at first I thought I was losing my mind. I thought, cause I, I have, have had some chronic health issues of my own and I thought, oh my God, I am such a hypochondriac, right? So luckily right around the time that that was really beginning to show up and with a level of frequency in which it could not be ignored. Um, I tried to ignore it for a while, but that didn't work. Um, I was studying with Karen Lundegaard, who was, I mentioned to you earlier, who was uh, the late Karen Lundegaard, who lived in Berkeley. And I spoke to her about it. And she said, oh, she goes, that's, that's the impact in you. And that just shows that, you know, you're really opening to that ability. And she goes, I, um, what you will need to learn to do is to learn how to shield and to learn how to notice if somebody else's energy has made its way into your energy field and then into your body and learn how to release because those are, you know, otherwise you will begin to get sick. And um, so that was how it started. And uh, it, so it was, it was a little, it, it was a, a bit of a bumpy start, 
Um, but when I'm doing it for a client, obviously it's in a set, a controlled setting. So I have already done my meditations prior to do the reading. I've already set up an energy field uh, that is shielded. Um, and if I begin, one of the ways that I do experience it is to feel an echo of what they're experiencing. So once that happens, I know that they've gotten in or, or that their energy has gotten in. I've, I've allowed too much in and then I'll, I'll back off even more. So, but that was how it started. <laughs> Uh, I would, how do people approach you with their medical challenges? Do they come in knowing, or do they kind of beat around the bush or do they start with the emotional stuff and then go into the physical? Good question. Um, it shows up several different ways. Um, sometimes people do come to me because they've been referred by other clients and they know that I specifically do this kind of work. Sometimes they have questions about a loved one you know, and they're, they're looking to know an outcome of a health diagnosis. Um, and then, uh, or, or some more, let's just say flushing out information around that. Um, and in some cases, many cases, they come to me and they don't realize that it's our, that whatever dis-ease, meaning lack of ease, um, that is happening for them on an emotional, spiritual, or mental level, and has already begun to make its way onto the physical is happening. They may not realize it. So, it, I will see it in their energy fields and I will sense it in their energy fields. And I can break that down for you if you want me to, how it shows up for me. I'm sure it's different for all intuitives. Some people have a very disciplined approach to it, like um, Carolyn Mace. She has a, an amazing, amazing, phenomenal approach to it. Mine's a bit more, just whatever shows up, shows up. But basically, if someone, I, I can see in their energy field, um, uh, there'll be a change in the um, shading of the energy field, lightness or darkness, and particular parts of it. Or there'll be a thinning in the energy field. And I'll, I'll give one example. If someone has been sexually abused, it always shows up the same way for every client, even if they have not come to me to discuss to discuss that with me it always shows up the same way and it is an extreme thinning of the energy field where it's almost like you could put your finger through a cobweb it's got that and that very open vulnerable feel to it okay mm -hmm. always mm -hmm. consistent um i'm not sure that's true for all medical intuitives i think we all are guided by uh in such a way that we have our own unique way of seeing those patterns but uh density uh, once it's reached to the point where it's actually, um, be, it's going to start showing up as a cyst or an obstruction, um, a growth, then, you know, I'll see, I'll see a, a, a thickness and density. And again, like I mentioned before, sometimes I will just feel an echo of what they're feeling. And I'll go, oh, do you, are you feeling this, you know, or have you felt this in this area, et cetera. So that's how my process works. Gotcha. Well, I totally believe that it, I agree with you, which is we are all so different and so unique that we create our own form of process so that it, it's most comfortable for us and that we can get it as quickly as possible. Right. Yes. Um, for those of, for those who are worried about their, about their health, uh, when they come see me, they usually come see me before they go to the doctor because they're afraid or, They've gone to the doctor 
and the doctor says it's time to take some tests. Um, Do you, what is your recommendation about having it coexist? We had someone here, by the way, her name was um, uh, Bridget Salmaji and she's a Reiki master and she used um, Western medicine and her Reiki to get through her cancer. Um, So I would love to hear your process as you guide people through their traumas. Um, okay. Well, my guides have a pretty, I say my guides because I also, because I was trained by a medium, I also function as a medium. So I'm a channel for information. Um, and, um, anyone can, by the way, do that. Um, and I, as I believe that anyone can heal themselves. Okay. Now I realize that's a bold statement and I'm not making any judgments about it because I've been far from perfect at it myself, but, that is my belief and my guides always the information they always start from is um to develop your own inner healer as much as you can okay um as western medicine <clears throat> is is very effective in terms of it's it's terrific in terms of its diagnostic diagnostics it does it can point you you know in the right direction um it's terrific in terms of uh you know if you're in a serious accident you go to a great surgeon he puts your body back together there are really good things about it in my opinion generally um for very serious conditions the approach in western medicine is burn it poison it rip it out right so um, in general, my guides, it, and then I would never say don't seek out that information because I'm a big believer in if you think something is going to heal you, it is far more likely to heal you because the ability to heal is coming from inside of you. Everything that you do external to that helps support, hopefully, helps support you to discover your own inner healer. But, um, I say get in contact with your inner healer and develop that to the best of your ability and wonderful. So if you, just like you said, if you're going to pursue Western medicine for treatment, definitely consider the idea of bringing some other alternative forms of medicine on board that do what we refer to as energy work, right? Such as acupuncture, such as like your, your uh, Reiki practitioner, Um, because that's only going to, um, help you allow your inner healer to show up as opposed to giving your body away to somebody and say, heal this or giving your body away to a given, um, process and say, do this for me. So, um, and my experience has been, and I have had clients that have had very serious illnesses that have recovered. And I've had clients that have very serious illnesses that did not recover and in fact transited to wherever we go when we're not, when our spirits are no longer in our bodies. And my general um, uh, opinion about this, just from what I said, people who are willing to take on several methodologies to heal themselves that don't limit themselves just to Western medicine my personal view is that they have a, a much longer survival rate. Right. Agreed. So, okay. um, so I guess that's my very long-winded way, way of saying, get to know your inner healer. And, and even better, 
don't wait until you're seriously ill to get to know your inner healer. Get to know it today. Right. Begin to make contact with it today. Begin to develop it today. Great. Thank you so much for all that information. What do you have coming up, Eloise? Um, well, on that very subject, um, I one of my favorite classes is my DIY energy healing class. And the reason that I like it so much is for the what I just outlined. We're constantly having inner energy exchanges with our environment, with other people, um, taking on their energy, releasing our energy out into the world. And um, it one of the major causes of dis-ease, again, is energy getting stuck in your body uh, because you're not dealing with something that needs to be dealt with emotionally or you are carrying somebody else's energy that you got no business carrying, um, any number of things. Um, so, or, um, uh, or it's time, it's just plain time for you to grow as an individual and open to all that there is, all that's going on for you, become more aware. So this class helps you do that. It's a 90 minute class and we do end up using the pendulum. That's the only tool involved. And it's an explanation of why being aware of what's going on inside of your psyche, your heart, your brain, and your body is important and how daily or regular self-clearing can um, help uh, you stay healthy and whole and aware and functioning at your best. Sounds great. Thank you so much for being our guest today. Uh, Eloise Hill has been our guest today on Mind Power Meets Mystic. We've had a great conversation. I think our listeners are going to be very interested in your upcoming class, Eloise, as well as your books and uh, these great things that you had to share with us today. Thank you so much for coming to our podcast, Mind Power Meets Mystic, and joining us this, this today. Thank you both. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Mind Power Meets Mystic. Mystic.